God's grace, his mercy, his peace are yours from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. This is not my time, but this is when darkness reigns. You hear those words, and they're kind of cryptic when you hear them, but you know they aren't good because you hear in those words that Satan, the darkness of sin and death, are allowed to, to rule maybe more than they should rule. And it's a little frightening because you know that when Satan is doing things and acting, they are never good. The previous weeks we talked about how Satan likes to whisper in our ears and and tempt us to do things that seem good for us at the moment, but once he lays them in our lap, our sinful hands drop them and spoil them and they rot. But it's surprising who says these words. Now is your time, let darkness reign. It was Jesus. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, kind of where we take off last week, right after Judas gave him a kiss and betrayed him. He turned to all the people behind Judas, the elders, the teachers, the soldiers, and he said to them, it's your time. It's your moment. It's not mine. And that's really kind of unsatisfying. Because we don't really know what he means, or the disciples really didn't know what he meant at that moment. That's why Peter pulled out his sword and started slashing away and cutting off the servant's ear. They didn't understand Jesus and his words at that moment. They were ambiguous. They, They didn't have this sort of conclusion to them. And we find out that that's not the first time Jesus does that. He kind of leaves it hanging, and we see that today in Luke 13, verses 1 through 9, where Jesus leaves certain concepts just hanging out there for us, and it's so unsatisfying because we want to know the answer. Listen to Luke again. It was some of the crowd that came up to him and said, Now, there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with the sacrifices. Jesus answered, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you, no. Unless you repent, you too will all perish. Or those 18 who died when the Tower of Siloam fell on them, do you think that they were more guilty than all others in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Now, if you have a view of Pontius Pilate, just from Jesus' passion account, from him standing before Pilate and Pilate saying to this man, I think he's innocent, I wash my hands of him, you might think Pilate is a pretty good guy. He's not. This gives us a clue to how poorly Pilate was a ruler, how horrible he was to the Jewish people, this Roman ruler decided that on a whim he would kill people who came to offer sacrifices to God. And that that phrase there where it says Pilate mixed the blood of these Galileans with their sacrifices, that's a way of saying that Pilate sent his troops into the temple where these Galileans were offering sacrifices and cut them down right there, right next to the animals that they slaughtered, and maybe even on a technicality. 
He was maybe an irritable leader. Maybe he was a frustrated leader because these Jewish people would not listen to him and he had Rome to answer to. Pilate was not good at all. He caused havoc. He, he caused what we call kind of a, a desolation. Just this holy sanctified place he walks into and he he brings his political power and he strikes down anyone he wants to and these people in the crowd are asking Jesus, what do you think about it? That Pontius Pilate would simply cut these Galileans down. And they might have had a, a, a way of a way of understanding how Jesus might react, because we would always probably react in the same way as the crowd did. We would have this, this national anger that such a person would come into our sanctuary and, and knock down anyone, strike down any person. We would be angry about it. But not condoning or not approving of Pilate's actions Jesus actually acts a lot different. He responds in a completely different way, and he uncovers a travesty that's there right before these people that they're not seeing at all as he says to them, what do you think about these Galileans? Do you think they're worse sinners than the rest of them? Before we get to Jesus' answer, I'll I'll give you my answer. And maybe you think this way too. I kind of think, yeah. When bad things happen to people, it's almost this idea that the the world has this this leveling plane that when you do bad, something bad is going to happen to you. Just think about it in your everyday life. When when someone uh, is mean to you or condescending or rude to you, why is it that we find extreme joy in something bad happening to them? That might be completely separate from the incident that involved us. Because we like this feeling that this world is balanced and that somehow the bad will be punished and the evil will be repaid and all this will be all leveled out in the end. This this weird concept that we come up, this made-up concept that we call karma. Or what goes around comes around. Or you get what's coming to you. I want to say, yeah, there's something that these people did that caused them to deserve such a horrible death. We want to discover that, I think, for two reasons. Because we're happy when evil is paid with evil. But I think the second and more important point is because we're so intent on knowing everything. We want to know everything. And so when we see things happening around in our world, the, the, the travesties, the disasters, you think of Katrina, you think of all the hurricanes that affected Houston and Panama City, you think of the tsunami, everyone looks at those from a distance and they say, something must have angered God. Something must have caused God to come and wipe out all these cities for what they have done because we want to know God's unrevealed will. We want to know the mystery of God's full plan. We want to see his full artwork, his full creation, 
So we look at all these different things in our world and we try to piece it together and say, God must not love these people, but he loves me and he loves those people. I think we would probably want to say, yeah, they deserved it. But that's only me and my simple nature talking. And then you hear Jesus, and he says, no. No. They weren't worse than anyone else. He even covers all his bases because this was an atrocity. Maybe someone can write it off that Pilate was just a, a very angry, mean leader, and he would kill everyone. So he takes it to the, the godly realm. He says, what about those 18 people who were happened to be standing in or around that Tower of Siloam, and it fell on them. Certainly that was an act of God. And you know what an act of God says? They must have done something. They must have done something to to deserve that sort of death, to be crushed by this tower out of the blue. And yet Jesus says, no. Not at all. And it's so unsatisfying, isn't it? Because that's, that's all that Jesus says. He just says no. He doesn't explain why Pilate slaughtered those people. He didn't explain why that tower fell. He didn't say that the contractor was a bad contractor and they just didn't build it properly. He doesn't say any of that. He just leaves it and he says no. Because it's not for you to know. We so want to know absolutely everything. We want to look around and see everything that's happening in this world and be able to define God in his big picture, his big piece of artwork, his masterpiece by what we see around us. And Jesus says, no. And here's why. Because Satan uses those things To betray God's will. Satan used things like other people's suffering for us to stand up and look at them and say, Wow, at least God loves me. At least God hasn't done that to me and my family. When, when, when someone else is so hard-pressed and, and there's loss in their family and it seems as if they're ground down, We stand there and we self-justify our self-righteousness. We say, God still loves me. Something's going on with them. And we think we know the big picture. Or you're on the opposite side. And this is what Satan does. He he jumps both sides. He he first makes you feel good about yourself, and then he makes you feel horrible about yourself, where you're standing there, and you're looking around at everyone else, and you see their, their life is pretty good, and they're pretty happy, but for you, man, it's been hard. One thing after another in your family has come. Disaster after disaster where you feel pressed down almost as if your head's underwater and you know what you want to say? Why, God? Why don't you love me like everyone else? Why is it so difficult for me? What have I done against you, God? 
And we determine who we are by the things that go around us. But Jesus says no. And he leaves it at that. He leaves God's mysterious will a mystery. Because we don't, we don't need to know it. We don't need to see the final picture of it all. all what Jesus does here is he now takes us out of this, this idea of we can understand God's update status for us by what we see, whether we're in a relationship where it's complicated or he's single now. Or we can actually understand God's will for us by what God says about us. You notice after each one of these, he says, you too repent or you will perish. And he helps us understand that with a parable, the parable of the fig tree. A pretty simple concept. A farmer, a master plants a fig tree and he hopes to get figs off this tree. And so he waits a year because sometimes it takes a while for plants to fruit. And he waits two years because sometimes it takes two years for a plant to fruit. And the third year he looks at it and he says, this plant has given me no fruit at all. Cut it down, take it out of my garden so I can plant something that's useful. What Jesus is showing us in this parable is if we don't have fruit, we're useless. In fact, when you look around at all the things that are happening, the, the, the abominations, the, the people who are devastated by, by loss in their family, it, they're to be a reminder that we too are going to face a very similar outcome. Not that we might be crushed by a tower following us or an evil ruler will knock us dead. But we all face, at the end of our life, death. Whether you go silently in sleep or go in an elaborate, magnificent way, you face death. And if you don't repent, there is only perishing there for you. If you're not that, fruit, that tree that produces fruit, that, that, the fruits of repentance being Sorry for our sins, being crushed for our sins and turning to God and asking for forgiveness, then, then you too will perish. And just to know this, this parable, it kind of has a dual fulfillment. That means Jesus speaking about this fig tree, he, he actually was speaking about Israel. He was talking to the people say, there saying, repent, repent, otherwise you're going to perish. And you know what happened? They didn't repent. You know what happened? They perished. Forty years later, Jerusalem destroyed. A tree unfruitful. But there in that parable still is a a vine dresser. Jesus. Who goes to the master and he says, give me one more year. And I will work up and cultivate around the roots and throw manure down so it can have everything that it needs. That's how our Savior treated Judas. 
when Judas betrayed him. As Judas came up and gave Jesus that kiss, Jesus didn't say to Judas, you're, you're making more hard work for me, or I, I deserve to be pitied because you abandoned me. He didn't say that. He didn't say, I'm, I'm better than you. You shouldn't even be around me. Instead, he said, you betrayed me with a kiss. In that moment, Jesus pitied Judas. Because even though Judas was there with Jesus the entire time in a vineyard that was cultivated with God's word, there was no fruit. And it tore him apart that one day you'd have to be ripped out. Judas betrayed God's will. In the sense that he saw his own picture and he saw suffering and he thought, well, I could benefit from this. Same way, sometimes we betray God's will too because of suffering. Questioning why, God, why do I go through this? Instead, we listen to God and Christ and we, we hear these things. They're reminders. Repentance is needed for you. So that you do not perish. And seeing all these things that happen around us, it, it devastates us and leads us to look to Christ for our sins. Christ, who, who went to suffering after Judas betrayed him, who, who even standing before the the elders and the soldiers said, it's your time, this, this darkness, it's, it's your time to work. It, it's almost as if uh, an artist took their piece of art and said to someone who was an artist, finish this for me. No one would do that. They would ruin the artwork, the masterpiece, and yet here Jesus says, it's your time, Satan, to prove this, that that masterpiece, that artwork, couldn't be ruined by a single person. Satan couldn't ruin it. In fact, as suffering came more for Jesus, he cultivated the, the, the soils of eternal life for you and me, taking our own punishment and giving us fruits of repentance. Not even death and Satan could take that away. So for us, suffering, seeing Pilate and, and seeing the abomination of, of death around us and seeing our own sinfulness, we, we find comfort and through suffering here is the master plan, the masterpiece. That certainly you may suffer more than other people. Are you more sinful than anyone else? No. But even in, in how God sands you down and, and grinds you back, he's working you into a masterpiece. What, maybe you, you don't have a, many struggles in life, and life is pretty good. He's still painting you by his grace, and he's using everything around us to remind us that God and his grace is so much needed because everyone will face punishment 
If it weren't for Christ standing up for us, if it weren't for Him going to suffer for our sins and taking them from us so that we might not perish but live. And so as Jesus said, it's your time. It's time that that darkness reigns. He wasn't abandoning us, but he was using suffering to paint that final picture. A masterpiece with you and me in it that maybe we're a reflection of how sin can do its worst to us, but other people look at us and see how God's grace covers over sins and the scars of of hurt and suffering in our life, and, and they too see their need for repentance. They see their need for their Savior. So does God love you? Yeah, he does. He tells you so. Let's stop looking and trying to figure out God's mysterious will, the, the things that, that go on around us, trying to define who God is, because he's far beyond our knowledge. His ways are far beyond ours. But his plan for us is clear. He's given us eternal life, a, a vineyard where we will grow and produce fruits. He tells us so in his word. Amen. Please stand. We continue by confessing our faith with the words of the Nicene Creed, printed for you on page 5 in your bulletin. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven, was incarnate of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, became fully human. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. And his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son who in unity with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified, spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Christian apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen.